Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Fundamentalists podcast. This is episode I have no idea. Yep. Um, uh, I'm Elliot, and this is a podcast about life and how to explore different ambiguous parts of it and how to find uh, life before death. There you go. And uh, <laughs> this is a podcast with my one of my best friends in the world and one of my favorite people, Dr. Peter Rollin. Uh, What's your doctorate again? Or doctorate? My doctorate's in kind of philosophy, continental philosophy. Continental philosophy. Yeah. Cool. Um, for people who don't know what that is, what is continental philosophy and what is the, why is that a differentiation from the other one? Oh, yeah. Yeah. A lot of people don't know that. So there's generally there's kind of a divide between analytic philosophy and continental philosophy. And analytic philosophy is uh, more kind of loosely based on kind of uh, kind of the hard sciences looks a little bit more uh, it's a bit more mathematically based logically based continental philosophy um, is a bit more interested in kind of the human dimension of existence so existentialism. When, so continental philosophy is like what people think of when they think of philosophy yeah and then a lot of people go into philosophy thinking it's going to be that and then they find themselves in analytic philosophy Uh-oh. and they're like that's what happened to me actually really yeah and you were just like this is too boring yeah i mean i did it for a while i didn't mind this isn't depressing but, enough yeah i was like what's going on so and it was a lot of trolley problems a lot of, kind yeah. of stuff. and I, it wasn't that interested and then i discovered thankfully my university had both departments that's very rare to have like continental yeah. and analytic but my my university did so what's, I um, moved across. What's the pie chart of like analytic versus continental? Like is continental philosophy like 80%, 20%? If you were to get all the philosophers in the room, oh yeah. How what's how who's more who's the cool kids? He's got more people. Yeah. Well, the, the definitely the cool kids are the continental guys. Well, for so, sure. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, they're the smokers with freaking nerds <laughs> and analytical philosophy. Yeah. yeah they're the yeah, the yeah, Freudian. They're, they're, they're the Parisians with yes. their triple espressos. Ooh, you know? <laughs> beautiful. And so it, but it depends what country. So in America, most philosophy departments are analytic. But if you go oh, really? to France, um, I would say most are continental. So continental philosophy is not completely geographical, but um, America and the UK tend towards analytic philosophy, whereas you know, France, Germany, Italy. Do you think that there's, and we'll get to the, Subject of this podcast, by the way, very soon, which yeah, yeah. is appropriately on time. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So we'll get to it in a, sec- a second. But uh, do you feel like with the emphasis on analytical philosophy that it has had an effect on like soci- sociologically? Like, is America a slightly different country at all as a result of being more analytically philosophical? Yeah, and or that. Um, the American culture has just been more conducive to analytic philosophy. Either way, yeah, I think there is a connection. So analytic philosophy, uh, and I'm going to try not to disparage it, just be very... <laughs> Which is uh, the greatest thing to say before you... Uh, yeah, say so. there's nothing now that you can say that's not going to be... It's basically what I'm holding my tongue. Yeah. <laughs> so people are like, mm, you're holding your tongue over something. Oh dear. Well, yeah, I do read some analytic philosophy, but it does it does tend to kind of like break society down into components, into functions. It looks at, um, you know, so if you're going to understand a car and you break it down into its component parts, uh, whereas continental philosophy is more interested in what's called gestalt, which is, you know, the, what we are in our subjectivity. Mm-hmm. So for example, you can understand a person by, you know, breaking them down to their biological functions or psychological functions or their social functions. Sure. But you'll end up potentially missing what it is to be human. 
Yeah, you dissect the bird and there's yeah. nothing left. And there's you, no life. You lose right, the magic, right. yeah. So whereas continental philosophy tends towards trying to understand what does it mean to live and what does it mean to be a human subject and that you can't dissect. Yeah. Um, in fact, Gabby you can, but it's a, very gross. Yeah. <laughs> very messy. There's a philosopher I kind of, well, quite like a guy called Gabriel Marcel, but he talks about the difference between problem and mystery. A problem is something that you separate yourself from and you look at and you dissect. And a mystery is a kind of problem, but it's a problem in which you are, in, it encroaches on your subjectivity. Mm-hmm. So you can't distance yourself from it. You experience it from within. So about sex? Sex. That sounds like yeah. sex. <laughs> yeah. I know what that is. That's sex. <laughs> um, cool. Well, also, a quick announcement before uh, we dive into today's um, lesson. Uh, we have a subreddit, which I found this morning. Yeah, I didn't know. You just texted me. I was great. Yeah. There's uh, a lot of people in it. I felt bad because on one hand, I was like, this is cool. And on the other hand, I was like, I bet, did I know about this? And I just completely forgot. But anyway, it's not very active. There's like 10 people on it. But if you are a listener of this podcast and you would like to offer up questions, suggestions, discussions, you can go to reddit.com slash r slash the fundamentalists because I saw a post on the Valley folks subreddit because I like to check that because they're smart. And uh, and I saw a cross post and I was like, what is, what is this? And it was, people are making cool stuff. So thank you for people uh, who are posting and making cool stuff. Um, whether or not it was a long time ago or not, it's still cool for, to finally see it. Um, but yeah, go check that out because we don't have like a Discord or anything. You have a Discord. I have a Discord, uh, but yeah, but not for the fundamentalists. Okay, so, yeah. yeah. So they have subreddit. I love Reddit. I've only kind of discovered Reddit because I'm old, but yeah. it's very good. Well, are you, are you willing to commit on camera to popping into the subreddit? Oh, 100%. Okay, great. Absolutely. Because uh, you can do longer posts there than you can on Twitter because I know you don't like to respond to people on Twitter. I don't, yeah, Twitter's too... Yeah, I don't like Twitter. Twi- twi- responding on Twitter is like one of the most nihilistic things you can do because there's no... I feel like just Twitter itself sheds a bad light on people now yeah. i don't know why but it's like anything that you're saying on twitter or tweeting i feel like i don't yeah it's just I literally, like but i don't think there's anything if you know about a subject you can't say something in 180 characters yeah or, in, or even in a string of tweets yep. you, you know if you so if you know about a political thing then you're you can't put it into words on Twitter. And then if you don't know enough, then you shouldn't bother as well. Like if, yeah. if, if you can make a tweet about something, um, I don't know. It just, it just doesn't work. Yeah. It's too. And also if someone's asking you a question, then you have to like take the time to really like analyze the question and be like, are yeah. you, it, you're most of the time maybe asking the wrong question and then you end up in a whole other, like, yeah, it's a lot of energy for, um, for people to just get mad at you. But anyway, yeah. um, so feel free to join. We'll pop in there when we can. Um, I think my username is Peter or something like that from a, like old. I had like a Reddit account from the SourceFed days where I made some dumb joke. But um, hop on there if you would like. Today we're talking about time. Yeah. By yeah. the way, another thing people can do because I like this is the comments on YouTube. And one of the comments on YouTube was somebody noticed that you were sitting on the blanket uh, and they were wondering <laughs> whether there was a reason for it. Cause like, do you wet yourself or something like That's that? That's very funny. <laughs> no, <laughs> Pete just decorates his place like a cool guy. So yeah. this is like one of those blankets that have been intentionally draped to look cool but in a way that's supposed to imply that it just landed here there's yeah. no way this blanket just, just landed, landed here. there yeah. you yeah. ironed it it's, and you folded it and it's glued <laughs> it's actually glued on so. yeah it's, i can't move it. that's very funny yeah oh and by the way this uh, podcast is now on the valley cast channel as well so hi everybody good to see you thank you for being here hello um time 
Now that we've wasted so much time before talking about time, I want to uh, do a game yeah, with okay. you, Pete. We're going to gamify a little bit. I have a list of 10 quotes about right. time, and I want you to tell me whether they're true or false, and I want you to give me your knee-jerk reactions, and I'm going to get you in gotcha moments, right. and then we're going to talk about probably true. True or false? Is it like whether they're, yes. yeah, whether they're whether true they're, of time yes. or not? <laughs> Objectively, and no, I, don't, I want zero opinion. I want only, uh-huh. f- like, no, you can say whatever you want. Uh, but I thought it would be fun to do and to think oh, about really? time because uh, the idea of time has become increasingly comical in and of itself. Mm. Uh, based on, I was talking to Joe yesterday. We talked for like two hours and he was like, you know, we haven't really talked for like two months. And I was like, I don't even know what that means. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought we were, I, could, you could have told me a week and I would have believed you. So yeah. that's the inspiration for this particular episode. Um, Joe Beretta. So, number one, you ready? Yeah. This is from Leo Tolstoy, never heard of him, uh, in a book called War and Peace, and I've never heard of it. And he said, the two most powerful warriors are patience and time. What do you think? Wow. I thought I thought I was going to have to guess who said it, but I'm glad I didn't have to guess Oh, that. gosh, no. I yeah. could give a crap. Oh, I don't <laughs> care who, who said what, but... Uh, so, the two most... Powerful warriors are patience and time. It's very cool because I like quotes that seem like they would be embroidered and like hung on a twenty-something yeah. girl's wall in her yeah. apartment. Um, thoughts on that? You don't have to have any, by the way. Yeah, because you know sometimes with a novel, then you've got to kind of ask yourself: so who's the character? Who's saying it? Why are they saying it? Mm-hmm. Do I do you know who's saying it? Why they're saying it? I do. Just off the oh. top of my head, I would say Leo Tolstoy, the greatest humanist, put these words in General Kutuzov's mouth and actually- The greatest con- humanist, it said? Greatest humanist. Oh, wow. You know it's a contest. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I didn't think he was a humanist. Anyway, keep going. <laughs> yeah, and actually it is a combination of two quotes. So they're just straight up lying in okay. quote number one. <laughs> in book 10, the general says, but believe me, my dear boy, there is nothing stronger than those two. Patience and time, they will do it all. Later, he repeats this idea in his thought. They must understand that we can only lose by taking the offensive. Patience and time are my warriors, my champions. Ah, yeah. By the so, way, yeah. That, so that gives context. It's a, it's a general, so it's about battle. It's yes. about a military strategy. Waiting um, out your enemy. Yes, and being waiting for the right time to strike. Yes. Patience and time. So yeah, so that kind of, I guess, as a great war strategist that I am. Yes. Yeah. We are mostly war strategy here at The Fundamentalists. Um, Always have. Yeah, what do you think? Like, what do you think of that in terms of what you do in your work with Valley Cast, Valley Folk, patience and time? Is there a certain sense in which... I'm not ready to answer that. Right. I will answer that in time. But you must have patience in order to, uh, yeah, man. I mean, that's the constant, that's the rigmarole you get into. The most powerful warriors are patience and time is a very, uh, it's a very sweet sentiment depending on where you're at mentally. Yeah. But I would disagree that that is a true statement. Yes. I would call it false. I think yes. actually. I would say, you know, in an objective sense, kind of false, but in, in the context yeah. of a general who's saying about, what are the important strategies? The idea that inaction is a form of action. Yes. And like to not move can be powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Hypothetically, patience and time are good, but I think also patience and time can be used as a um, crutch and as an excuse to enable fear. But it doesn't sound like that's what the general is doing. Yeah. So that's my take on it. There you go. Number two. This is from uh, Tupac, Tupac Shakur, or no, Benjamin Franklin says, time is money. 
Uh, you like that one? Yeah, I've heard that one before. I think about that sometimes because I'm like, I'd like to make more money and I do have a lot of time. Mm. So maybe I could exchange those things in some way better than I am. You're a philosopher. You sit, you think, do you feel like when you're thinking, you're using your time to make money? No, although funnily enough, that's kind of what I do, you know, a little bit. <laughs> yes, that is my job. <laughs> I know there's a couple of people I know here who have, are very, very wealthy. And one of them said to me that because he can basically do anything, uh, what what becomes valuable is time. So not, so basically, because it's not money, it's like a private jet or whatever. Yeah. And the reason for the private jet is because what's valuable is everyone gets 24 hours in their day. So how do you kind of maximize the amount of time? Mm-hmm. And I said, so basically one disappears, money disappears as the kind of thing that you're valuing and time becomes the ultimate value. Yeah, that's really interesting. The richest, the richer you get, the biggest benefit is being able to save time pretty much in any capacity. Like even having enough money that you can just blow on like Postmates is a great way to save a bunch of time. So it's like you're paying for, you're paying for uh, not having to spend time doing what you don't want to do. Yeah. Better three hours too soon than a minute too late. Three hours too soon than a minute too late. Who said that? Billy Shakespeare ah, and the Merry good. Wives of Windsor. Yeah. The phrase is said by a character who suspects his wife's infidelity, but in fact, it can be applied to any situation when you need to take a chance to change things. Better three hours too soon than a minute too late. That, oh, I see. So I thought it was a quote about punctuality, but apparently it's a quote about infidelity. I get those two confused a lot, <laughs> uh, but it can be applied. To any, yeah. Any, any, that I like more in that context than the first one. Yeah. Than the uh, the warriors are time and patience. I like the better three hours too soon than a minute too late. Yeah. He had a way with words. That's Dude, I mean, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> we talked about it a little bit, but that uh, Upstart Crow play is so good with uh, David Mitchell. Oh, yeah, yeah. I want to yeah. see that. I wonder it's, if they'll put it on the TV or something. Maybe, yeah. yeah. It's done now, obviously. <clears throat> um, lost time is never found again. That's another one from Benjamin Franklin. Uh, I don't think you can really disagree with that. That's fine. Yeah. We're not really meat. This isn't too meaty. You know, the only thing about that lost time can never be found again. There, there, and you know, it's that's all about kind of like just pithy sayings. But there is, there is. Uh, maybe we'll talk about this. But the idea that um, you can actually redeem the past. You know, so if you meet somebody, for example, in the present, it doesn't just transform your present or your future, but it can also make change the past so the past becomes a kind of waiting for them or there's or even in psychoanalysis there's a certain weird sense in which you don't literally change the past but you can kind of go back into the past and reinterpret it and change it so man dude i've been now we're talking i've been on one about this crap lately because it's um it's so inter the simulation stuff and the weirdness that's happening right now um across the board is so interesting in terms of like what reality is and with past stuff it really does seem like the past does change Mm. and depending on what you do with your present and it becomes like oh like you said like a re you can look at back on things and be like it's why people always say like i'm so thankful for that because if that hadn't happened this wouldn't have happened and i wouldn't be here and i say that in a mocking voice but i wholeheartedly agree with it so yeah Yeah. i like that i like lost time is never found again and um the sense that it's uh benjamin franklin was wrong 
<laughs> uh, you can't keep today's hour for tomorrow. We all know this is about the last time is never found. I can quote. He says, the article says, you can't keep today's hour for tomorrow. We all know that, but still tend to procrastinate. Benjamin Franklin warns that time is a scarce resource, and if it's wasted, it cannot be recovered later. This is why mindful planning and work on productivity are so important. Is right. this from your like self-help book? Might Something as well be, dude. Yeah. This is all self-helpy. <laughs> uh, time is the most valuable thing a man can spend. We were just talking about that. You covered yeah. that. Well, okay, so before you said it, Theophrastus said it. Do you know who that is? No, Frastus. Okay. No. Ancient Greek philosophy. It's known by its combination of merely theoretical thoughts and practical approach. Theophrastus understood time as an accident of motion that cannot be stopped or reversed. And he said that waste of time is the most extravagant and costly of all expenses. No. Yeah, but it's so fun. <laughs> time is the wisest counselor of all. It's fine, whatever. Unless you have, jump in if you have thoughts. I, there's one, I got one that I don't know who said it, but I heard someone say that the days, the days are long, but the years are short. I wonder if we'll get to that. The days are long, but the years are short. Yeah, and the, that's really good. Yeah, I, I like that. Like that's one of these are all kind of in common, but that that one just captured something I thought was really interesting because the days are long, but the years are short. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah. yeah. Ugh, it's such a mind freak. The key is not in spending time, but in investing it. I like that. That's nice. Yeah. I'll put that in my pocket. The key is not in spending time, but is investing it. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Just one of those things. Um, change this word. Think of it this way. <laughs> it is the time you have wasted for your rose that makes your rose so important. You got anything there? Oh, that's quite good. I like that. It's the I time you, that you've I wasted you would, on your yeah. rose that makes your rose so important. Yeah, that, that's that's very, that's that's good. It's partly looking at the idea that you, it's the investment in something that gives it a certain value, excessive value. The um, yeah. sacrifice, as yeah. Todd McGowan. Yep. We used to mention Todd McGowan's uh, book, Capitalism and Desire, about four times a podcast. We don't do it as much anymore. But for those who are interested in reading, I think it's really great. It's a very good book. Um, I showed Grace uh, um, Drive when we were in uh, Palm Springs. Oh, yeah. She'd never seen it before. And I can forget certain um, things Uh in my past, like how Drive has a... You know, funny girl, Grace is funny girl. Drive is such a fun movie when you're a dude in your 20s and you're like, hell yeah, like Ryan Gosling is so cool. But rewatching it, there's so much dead air between him and Carrie Mulligan where they're just staring at each other. Do you remember that part of the movie? It's all of the first half of the movie. They they stared at each other in total silence and it was cracking Grace up and, <laughs> and making me like, in my like boyish sense, was like, "Don't make fun of my toys." Like this is a cool movie. And then I was like, it's, "I was like, she doesn't know what's coming. It's gonna get super intense." And then I also forgot that um, she doesn't like violent movies at uh-huh. all. And so I was like, "Oh, it's gonna get so good. She's gonna love it. It's gonna be we're gonna just have a great time." And then that scene happens, and uh, and all people are getting shot, and I'm like. Oh, oh. And she just all of a sudden I look over and she's like hiding under the blanket and she's like, nope, nope, nope. And I was like, <laughs> okay, well, if you're not, we're not going to be able to watch. But anyway, in the movie Drive, in that elevator scene, it's referenced in Capitalism and Desire. And we were talking about that a little bit because I was like, the whole idea of that scene in the elevator in Drive, I guess, is that he he's stayed the same as a character. But Carrie Mulligan's character for the first time is seeing his dark side and seeing his like ravid, ravenous um 
violence and it sort of alters her horizon or something like that. I don't know if you remember enough of yeah. what Tom McGowan talks about. But um, anyway, it was I was thinking about that with the sacrifice stuff and how like you sacrifice for an iPhone and you do it in such a way that you don't think about how it came into fruition because you can mentally like separate it from it. And I was thinking about that idea of like sacrifice gives something value across the board. So that would make sense that sacrifice. Yeah. Have you well, seen, have you seen by the way, only God forgives the kind of film after drive? I need to watch that because I've heard you it's rave about it, but, but you it's, lo- it's much, it's even more kind of drawn out. So, well, I have seen it, oh, yeah. but I remember watching it and just wanting it to be drive and being like, I want yeah. them to him to beat somebody up, but I want to rewatch it now knowing more about the philosophical yeah. stuff behind it. Cause isn't it like, it's not like an Oedipal, it's an Oedipal. Yeah, from what I remember, well, I thought that it was a very uh, evil yeah. kind of story. It's, yeah, because it's like an evil mother or <clears throat> bad mother or something. Yeah, it's very... we're proximity of the mother and, yeah. Over-proximate? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we're proximity, yeah. Um, so that was Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, the little prince. I don't oh, know, yeah. I'm so bad at pronouncing French yeah, names. Yeah, um, me too. This is the final one, you ready? Okay, give it. Punctuality is the thief of time. Oscar Wilde, the picture of Dorian Gray. Uh, The phrase that looks like a joke for most of us is the truth of a complete hedonist. Oscar Wilde is being at his best. The meaning of his quote is that when you invest effort in someone else's comfort, like hurrying because someone is waiting, you sacrifice your own time that you could spend on much more pleasant things. (laughs) So say the quote again. Punctuality is the thief of time. Uh, Does that just mean like don't? I don't. What? That's not. That sucks. Don't don't be considerate of what other people are doing with their time because you're you're, it's a waste of time to be nice to people. Yeah, but he's always he's always he's what Oscar Wilde often does is he kind of like exposes our secret pleasures and our secret uh, unconscious desires. So he's very good at that. Right. So it's the Um, it's the Oscar Wilde version of the John Mulaney joke where he says canceling times canceling plans is uh, the equivalent of shooting up heroin or something like that. Like that right? the feeling of canceling plans is like heroin. When you have something to do and all of a sudden the plans get canceled, you're just like, oh, that's that's perfect. Oh, yeah, I don't have to great. go yeah. <laughs> It's like when we're doing the podcast and one of us, it's like playing chicken with us where it's like, you want to you do it? I can't, I can really... Really tired. It got it. You don't yeah. got it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll wait, but there we're gonna that, be better. Yeah, there is that pleasure of like, ah, oh, I can just relax. It's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So that was ten quotes on time, everybody. Pete, did that alter your paradigm? Did that shake you to your core? It did. <laughs> it rocked me. Well, what is your experience of time during this uh, lockdown period? Good like, question. I mean, it's been uh, all gelled together. I think it's pretty common. It's like yesterday's today and today's. Uh, tomorrow so i don't i think um i didn't know what day today uh grace came in and she's like is it friday or saturday and it's like sometimes you ask that question and you're waiting for your own brain mm-hmm. to like catch up and you're like oh, all right it's whatever but um it was a genuine moment of like i don't know i don't know if it's i was like friday like and it yeah. felt like a guess so what about you yeah 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 everything's kind of it's I think la as well you don't have seasons so every day is pretty much the same and um you know you can lose track of seasons and time and yeah. yeah it all kind of bleeds into one how are you liking the weather it seems to be um mirroring the it just feels so gross outside are you feeling i, I haven't been able to get outside i'm pretty yeah. well i hardly ever go out at the moment. do you um do you want to this is a side you can cut this out if you don't want to oh, talk yeah. about it, but do you want to talk about what happened oh yeah 
I would love just to do a quick story yeah. time. So we're going to do an intermission <laughs> with story time. And I want, cause we, I was in, um, re-quarantined in Palm Springs, uh, last weekend. And, um, we, me and Pete and our buddy Curtis did a, a zoom hang. Um, and you told us a story. What happened? Yeah. Pete? So basically not much exciting stuff's going on in my life, but there's a food truck across the road. So I go oh. over to the food truck to get something to eat. And because you can't order from the food truck at the moment, you have to use a, a mobile phone. And I had to download something. And there was a guy and he was like just five feet away from me. And he was mumbling at me and he was swearing at me. And he was telling me to leave. And uh, he was a tough looking guy. Uh, but I just, you know, I was, I was too busy on the phone. So I was kind of ignoring it. But I knew he was there. And Big was, guy. Um, you know, not really, but same height as me, but very stocky. Sinewy and yes. just ready to just, yeah, yeah, rock. Yeah. Like he looked like he's, he's been through a few fights, you know? Yeah, like he'll... <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but I'm like, Alison, it'll be fine. It's only six o'clock at night, whatever, it'll be fine. Um, and then I order... And it's going to take 10 minutes. And he's still threatening me. And he's telling me to <laughs> so, leave. What is he saying? He's, saying? he's telling you to leave? The f- yeah, he says, you've got to get the fuck out of here. And, you know, you've got to leave now. You know, like, you better you better start walking. Really, can I have like five minutes? Can that- I, just give me five minutes. <laughs> I'm just waiting for my food. Well, that's what I said. I said, listen, I'm just getting the food, you know. Yeah. Like, so was, oh, did you really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just like, you know. Yeah. Well, because I, I went to a really tough school. I grew up in a, I went to a really really bad school and i always remember that the best way to avoid getting into a fight was to show no aggression and no fear just mm-hmm. like literally none of it so nothing like aggressive but also zero anxiety zero fear so i was just looking at him and i didn't feel worried anyway it was like it was middle of, you know it wasn't late at night yeah but um but i was just going like yeah i'll just be nice look him in the eyes just go out waiting for my food but they're like it's going to take 10 minutes so I think, okay, I'll go over to the shop. I'm going to buy some something at the shop. So I walk over to the shop and he starts following me and he's about three feet. Now, like so close behind me. And I'm wa- so I walk very slowly to make sure he knows that I know he's there. And I go to the shop and he doesn't come in. He waits outside. And the guy in the shop's looking at him going like, I'm going to f- call security. That guy's like on something. Yeah. So he does that. Uh, and I buy a couple of things and then I leave the store and he starts following me again mm-hmm. across the road and halfway across the road I stop and I look look at him and he stops and then I walk towards the place to get my food but I, I'm kind of making sure that he knows I can still see him through the corner of my eye just out of curiosity what is and if you could be as specific as possible what food did you order I ordered, I think it was brisket, some well, brisket thing. You're not gonna, you're not gonna not walk, gonna walk away, away from that. From that. No, yeah. I'm not gonna walk away from that. <laughs> so, but I, I kind of like decide, okay, I'm not gonna turn my back. So I better turn to face him and just, you know, confront him. So I turn to face him. I confront him. Just go like, listen, mate. Hey, bully. Hey, bully. <laughs> it's all cool. Just getting some food. But then I, because you're, but you're very myopic. So I'm looking him in the eyes, and then I glance at his hand uh-huh. and in his right hand he's carrying a saw blade yeah <laughs> like, there it is not just a blade <laughs> like it's a saw blade it's eight inches serrated blade <laughs> what a t- I, yeah. yeah so it's funny it's just like okay so it's like, okay uh i so i just look at him and nod give him the man nod mm-hmm. and then just we are respectable gentlemen. We're respectable gentlemen. <laughs> yeah. This has been a pleasant exchange. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Thank you very much, sir. And then so I then I decide I start walking across the road just very slowly. It's as if I'm just passing him back to the shop. 
But as I'm walking, I notice the guy's locked the door because he's seen all of this, the guy in the shop. So I'm walking oh. towards this shop door of this guy about five feet behind me with an eight-inch serrated blade. Uh-huh. And I'm like, that door's locked. The guy's uh, locked that's the door. door. Looking out like this. That's one of your least favorite doors to come across at a time <laughs> yeah. like that. But I'm wearing a, I'm wearing this uh, cardigan, thick cardigan. Uh-huh. So I just very casually take it off and very casually wrap it around my arm. Which that, and I said this to you when we were talking, that is the street smartest thing I've ever heard of in my life. And I wouldn't even have thought to do that. Oh, and yeah. Not in a million years would I think wrap your clothing around your arm so you can use it as like a defense. That's yeah. that's pretty smart, man. So you were able to keep your cool, sounds like, really well. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I was. I kind of like, you know, that's the, if you start running, it's like a dog or something. Like a dog starts chasing you when you start running. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's doing everything as if everything's totally normal. When a guy with an eight-inch serrated blade five feet behind is not normal no but you have to pretend it is yeah and think about <laughs> think about the, the the fear that's going around right now just of seeing someone not social distancing and wearing not wearing a mask like yeah. that alone is like oh i don't know or if you see like a crowded um party in like a tv or you know tv show or movie or something you're like wow that's like crazy all those people together in that space now but you a philosopher living in downtown los angeles <laughs> left your apartment uh, went down to get food out of a food truck, were almost murdered <laughs> and still had the ability to be like, it's fine. Yeah. I did worry. My, the first worry was this is going to be a long night. Because I mean, like, yeah. you know, this is going <laughs> to be a long night. Because I was imagining being in a hospital and I was like, oh, that's going to be all night. Last place you want to go. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I want to get my food and go to bed. But the lovely thing is the guy unlocked the door as I was getting very close to okay. it and let me in and then closed the door, relocked it. And at this point, a couple of security guys came around here, just yeah. kind of like patrol the area. They mm-hmm. don't have weapons, but I don't think so. Really? Uh, but I they're enough. To, yeah. Yeah. But it's like, you know, keep your distance, man. <laughs> yeah. So they so, talked to him and I was able to run over and dude, get Dude, it's so, it's such a funny image to just, you got to get your brisket and yeah. then you're meeting this guy head on with eye contact, keeping your composure. But then when it's all said and done, it's just so funny to imagine you in the elevator by yourself back up to your apartment holding a plastic bag with brisket in it and then crawling into bed and watching TV and having just brisket on your belly and like having do- having lived another day. <laughs> the brisket never tasted better. Yeah, just the warrior returns home from his with his kill. Uh, anyway, I, yeah, that was a fun, that's a fun. Uh, yeah. I'm glad you're okay because you. it's cool that you were able to uh, handle yourself as well as you did because mm-hmm. I don't know that I could have been able well, to do you. it. So back to time. Yes. I have what a thought got? on time. So here's, well, here's something that Soren Kierkegaard said, which I thought was interesting. I was reading him a few weeks ago and I'm hopefully I can do him justice because it was, it, this is only a small part of the book, but he talks about time and he says that human beings don't live in time. Actually, we, weirdly are not in time in the same way as other things we actually live between time and eternity we live in this weird space in between so i thought i'd say a couple of things about oh, that see where it that's goes. already everything you just said is already better than all those stupid quotes but <laughs> maybe the quotes will get us a uh, quicks yeah um yeah so he says right so time what is time that's a difficult question. What is time? And, and I suppose maybe a, a physicist would say time is entropy. Mm-hmm. So that's basically it. The flow of time is the flow of entropy. Um, and 
So a rock experiences time, it's in time and over millions of years it gradually dissolves or whatever, right? Um, animals are in time. So what does Kierkegaard mean by when he says that human beings aren't in time? Um, what he means by that is we're in history and history isn't fully in time. So history, I think what he says basically, well, if time is entropy and then eternity, if we define eternity as a singularity in which every potentiality exists simultaneously, right? Mm-hmm. So a singularity, a, a moment in which every potentiality, anything that can possibly happen, exists, sim- exists simultaneously. If, that, if, if that's a definition of eternity, okay. then Kierkegaard is saying we live between those two. Eternity is what breaks into time and makes us and makes us uh, what he would call temporal, but not in time. We it makes us kind of out of joint with time. So we're, and the reason why is because uh, because punctuality is the thief of time. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Thanks, Perfect. everybody. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, um, because uh, time. If an animal's in time, it just it just does what it does. It's just a, yep. a, a flu, right? Not, nothing changes. There's no history. History is whenever human beings come on the scene, creatures of language, and we can make decisions and we uh, kind of have possibilities. Mm -hmm. And so Kierkegaard calls this the atom of time. I think we can call it, if he was writing today, might call it the quantum of, of eternity, sorry. The quantum of eternity, which is at any moment in your life, which is just going along on tracks, right? So your just life is going on as mm-hmm. as per usual. You're doing valley folk. You're doing whatever. You're in your loop. You're in your loop. At any point, uh, you radical things could change. Anything could change. Now you don't feel this in your everyday life. You just go along and you do everything as is. But technically, you could change something radically. You could throw yourself off a building while you're driving down the highway. You could turn the wheel and hit the side. Mm-hmm. You could. You can do crazy things. You know, I could have, when that guy was had that knife, I could have, like, you know, charged him to get killed or yeah. something like that. You know, you could do anything. Like, that's that's the crazy thing. But you don't experience life like that. You, you, guys, you guys could have come, become a gang, a little two-person gang, and you could go around to all the food trucks and been like, you got to get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> I could enjoy them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, keep right. going. So, you're, you're feeling like life is just going along in a track, but Kierkegaard says the quantum of eternity is, is it's almost like an existential superpositioning. It's a moment when you realize that you have all of these potentials. Your life could go in any direction you want. You could do anything. You could end a relationship. You could end your work. You could do, you kill yourself. You could, you know, do whatever, right? Yeah. Like just an infinite variety. When of you, things. when there is, yeah, there is a, um, in the absence of nothing, there is the possibility of anything. And so at any given moment, you could do anything yeah. to alter. Yes. And, and Rick and Morty is a good example of this. So Rick and Morty plays on this kind of quantum of eternity, maybe, because, you know, all these multiverses and they just do crazy things and something completely unimaginable happens. And, you know, it all, like, it's just, it yeah. kind of like Rick and Morty works so kind of on the idea of, of a pure chaos of, mm-hmm. of, of any possibility can happen. So when you're watching it, you've got no idea where it's going to go. Yeah, it's so good. It's actually it's too good for me to watch. It's, one of those, it's yeah. flying too close to the sun. It's, yeah, it's very, like, you know, there's the, is it what they call the cosmic cable? 
or something mm. interdimensional cable but it's like a, a cable channel that has every shoe that's oh, ever right, been yeah. made in every dimension uh-huh. and so you literally you find anything so good <laughs> like so house good. hunter where they're hunting houses oh really is that <laughs> yeah. one of them yeah i don't remember but it's that's yeah. yeah but it's like anything just anything can happen <laughs> so you know? good so yeah. it's in can i jump in or oh yeah please do but if you got more oh well no i'll keep adding to it but okay. jump in and well know. just so i get my bearings yeah. i i tend to think of eternity as a uh, never ending time yes and you're talking about eternity being a moment a singularity of all possibility which is in contrast to time itself that makes sense it's yeah. sort of like how people are like the opposite of love isn't hate it's apathy like that makes sense because that's a you know an absence like eternity would be an absence of time not uh, an yeah. extension of it because that would be in time like that would be an in time definition of eternity that's, that's where my brain is but yeah. Which, by the way, Hegel calls a bad infinity, which is eternity is simply the movement of time forever, right? So, and so both Kierkegaard and Hegel, they're saying, no, that is not, that's not eternity. That's a, yeah. that's a bad infinity. So keep oh, interesting. Okay, great. I don't know, though, I cannot conceptualize the yeah. version you're saying. Yes. At all. I have no idea what that means. I have no idea what it looks like in my brain to imagine a moment of singularity where all things are happening at once. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's not entirely true. I have done mushrooms, but <laughs> with the exception of that, I don't understand entirely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wonder if you could say the um, the moment before the Big Bang is a type. Of, That's what I think. Big. It sounds like a Big Bang. Yeah. Event. Yes, or pre. Yeah, but just pre the Big Bang is potential because space time, you know, is are, are contained, right? Yeah. So space time don't exist outside of that. So, but. The funny thing is, you don't for Kierkegaard, you don't have to be able to conceptualize eternity. In fact, we can't. You're right. We can't conceptualize eternity by definition. We can't. But the reason why Kierkegaard says we are between the two is because he says what we do experience is a quantum, or he calls it an atom of of eternity. And what he simply means by that is this moment that breaks into because he doesn't like the mm-hmm. idea, and physicists don't like this either. Now, um, of thinking of the time as past, present, and future. That's a spatiality of time. It doesn't really, time is just this flow and this flow of entropy. But what we do as human beings is we experience time discreetly. We experience the future and the past and the present. And Kierkegaard says the reason why we do that is because something disrupts the flow of time and its eternity. And what he means by that is it's that moment. And I've had this maybe once in my life when I was 17, but maybe little elements of it since then, but a moment when you literally experience the ground beneath you going and you experience your radical freedom that that you could do so many things and none of them are ne- are guaranteed there's mm-hmm. no guarantee you have to take full responsibility for your freedom you even you have to take responsibility for your fleeing from freedom you could do anything and it, that's what I, I like to call it the superpositioning of a term like a an existential superpositioning yeah in superpositioning you've got all positions are simultaneous until they're crunched down into yes. one location. And it's almost like that. You have to the make Heisenberg, decisions. The uh, Heisenberg yeah, principle yeah. of uncertainty. Exactly. So you have to make a decision. You have to decide. You know, Schrodinger's life. cat. That's what I'm thinking of. Oh, yeah. Schrodinger's cat. Yeah. Where the cat is yeah. technically until you look at the cat, it's neither alive nor dead or both alive and dead. Yeah. <laughs> I think I have a joke, a joke from forever ago. I think I remember that. Yeah. It yeah. was like a... Schrodinger's cat is um, it's when you take a 
you it's an experiment where you take a cat and you put it in a box and you shut the the box and then and then the cat can um, exist and <clears throat> multiple places but depending on where it is is defined by when you uh open it up and you find out that uh, god isn't real <laughs> <laughs> it was very dull it was like a, like one of my first like attempts at a stand-up philosophy joke but uh anyway yeah, yeah. i was your biggest fan with your stand-up philosophy yes. jokes, but they probably weren't the most popular yes biggest fan not <laughs> getting fan as well mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> and thank you but uh anyway so yeah the so yeah Superposi- existential superposition is that what you said yeah because because you see yourself as going like oh my goodness i could leave my job i could leave my i could change everything and and you experience it for a moment and you experience the dizziness of that you're not just on tracks that you're not just going somewhere mindlessly but you're responsible for what you do and who you are and who you can be it's this moment of terror yep. it's absolutely exhilarating yeah um i've been um getting back into a little bit of meditation. Oh, nice. And uh, yeah, I like it a lot. And uh, it I haven't done it in a while, but um, I started doing it because I was just like, there's no reason not to. It's not like I don't, you know, why not? Let's see if I, I'll revisit it and see if I like it. Mm-hmm. But in times of meditation, as uh, maybe foo-foo as this sounds, it there have been glimpses of that kind of thing when you sort of actually do I'm not good at it, but there's moments where you feel like, like, oh, 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 no. Like you, it, there's a little bit of a roller coaster feeling for, and it, it startles me to the point that I sort of snap out of it. But there have been, especially during this quarantine and being in solitude and combined with like, for example, in, in relation to a little bit what we're talking about, the Valley Folk obviously is struggling and, you know, the views and all that. And we are at an impasse of going, okay, we, whatever we're doing right now is not, not working in terms of getting views that we think our content deserves. So something needs to change and something needs to be um, shaken up a little bit. And it's sort of that same, it's a more a smaller version of that feeling of being mm-hmm. like, we can do anything. Yeah. And because of that, it's terrifying because if we do anything, if we just go balls to the wall and make, you know, things and address things the way that we probably want to, there are so many variables that could happen that are unknown. And what we do know is that while we are struggling and suffering, we at least, it's like the devil, you know, versus the devil, you don't. Yeah. And uh, so there is that kind of also that feeling collectively, even though it's in quarantine, of being sort of um, uh, your, what's it called? Where you're, um, it's like you're, it's a something of riches, your cursed of riches. Or, oh, um, I know the phrase you, I knew it. It's like that with things. For, but, yeah. It's like yeah. that with things that you could do to, to change things up where it's like, there's so many options and, um, and you get stuck in this mind frame of going like, we need to stick like this, but the whole, yeah, the whole human yeah. existence is being like, remembering that you can do whatever you want. Anyway. That's and and that, that's a perfect thing. What you're describing, which is, I like the phrase like a decentering practice rather than a centering practice. It's what decenters you. It's that experience of, right. We have to change something. Things need to be shaken up. And then you go like, well, what's the right way to go? And mm-hmm. can you sit down and, and work it out exactly? And go like, well, not really. You're kind of caught in this absurdity. You're caught in this impossibility and you have to make a decision. There's such, yeah, especially because, yeah, we were talking about this with the um, 
the the struggles are so zoomed out right now when you look at the fact that there's a global pandemic so you add that into the mix of also going we gotta we gotta fix this like we gotta fix it now and that is such a small thing compared to a global thing that's happening that to do it publicly is feels insane it feels like you're like it, it it almost looks like you're unaware that things are actually falling apart, but that never changes the fact that like things can be falling apart internally as well. Yeah. And you're not, you know, looking at that because it's not a big deal. Not that they're falling apart, but that they're, you know, sh- struggling. Um, and so, yeah, it's an impossible scenario. It's an impossible thing to be able to go. Oh, this is the right direction. Yeah. Which and is, this why- is, yeah. And in terms of COVID, I think, potentially on a world scale this is happening like some people are going well does this mean that we need to rethink how we do the economy or does this rethink how we do politics does this Mm -hmm. rethink so i I think actually interestingly this is a moment where this notion of the quantum of eternity yeah is felt by people individually who are like do i go back to work like after this is over do i go back to the way things were yeah or do i make big changes in my life and also politically going like does this change how we do how we do the economy, how we produce commodities and uh-huh. how we distribute commodities. So there's a weird way in which I think Kierkegaard is really good for the present moment. Yeah. Is that individually people are feeling, oh my goodness, I could change things. Like my life is kind of without me wanting it, has been thrown up in the air. And now there's, I'm noticing that I've got lots of possibilities. Yeah. And then politically, we also were looking at, well, does this shake up the very form of production? Yeah, um, isn't it fast? So freaking crazy, man! Like I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have guessed that it would be the questions that we're asking like that would have happened like two months yeah. ago. I would have thought, first of all, I would have thought it would be over by now. I didn't know anything, and also just like the universality or whatever of everyone sort of just being questioning these types of things is the most interesting thing to me that I maybe have ever experienced with the exception of like, um, the only thing I can think of is like nine 11, the way that the reaction to nine 11 and like, um, group events that affect people on a massive scale. is so far beyond my understanding. And it's not like, like I like philosophy and I like getting into it, even though I'm like armchair with it and I don't really know much of it. And I take most of what you say and then I spit it out the wrong way. So <laughs> there's plenty, plenty of people out there who think you have even less of an idea of what you're talking about than, <laughs> than you uh, yeah, realize because yeah. I'm just butchering your words constantly. <laughs> but when it comes to that, like sociological impact of everything, mm-hmm. I, I'm like just... I'm so fat. Like there's all this um, at eight o'clock, you know, people do the, the medical workers. Um, oh yeah. It's thing. isn't from here. I bet. Head. I bet yeah. downtown. I bet it's crazy. And we can hear it. And it's so, it's I just so it was cool. It, yeah. 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 <laughs> That's me. Just me and my pan um, banging my pan. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I was like, this is so, I was like, but I also, I'd like to just like maybe at 7 PM, I'm going to go out and I'm going to, do it. I'm going to shout and holler for all of the um, like psychologists and maybe not philosophers, people who are watching this event right now and just like hammering data into like whatever. I'm not saying I necessarily agree with whatever, whatever conclusions they're going to come to uh, based on their data, but it's imagine like five, 10 years from now when we are going to be able to look back on this worldwide event and actually be able to learn things, which is probably what Kierkegaard would, I guess, want to have happen. Yeah. He probably wouldn't give a crap. Yeah. He was pretty lunar. Type. Yeah. Yeah. But he, yeah, does, but he wouldn't think, even know there's a pandemic going on. Yeah, that's right. But I think he would, yeah. Like I think he would um, see this as, as an opportunity for, 
the increase of anxiety, but the increase of a possibility for change. Yeah. It, because none of us are going, life is as usual, like even more than 9-11, because uh, that was an American mm -hmm. event. It was a world event, but it wasn't a world event like this, where the, the everyone's on lockdown around the world. Mm -hmm. And so there's no like, face to the enemy. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of right. crazy. Well, there is. You just have to make one up and yeah. blame somebody. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's the Chinese. Yeah, yeah Chinese. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it is it is like a moment in which in which we're all feeling that that moment of what he called, would call absurdity. In fact, did we talk about him and Abraham and Isaac? I don't think we did. Well, let's hear it. Yeah, yeah he's, this is very good. So Kierkegaard... Um, he's trying to piss off religious people. He's kind of very religious himself, but he kind of he's he's trying to um, shake things up in a world where a lot of people consider themselves Christians at the time. And so he he does a reading of Abraham and Isaac, and the Abraham's called the father of faith. And most people uh, that he knows, uh, you know, would call themselves faithful. So he basically wants to show how crazy Abraham is that, and kind of like make you think. Am I, do I have the same faith as Abraham? So he does this whole thing where he talks oh God, about- oh, oh no, do I have the same faith as Abraham? When yeah. as a kid, you're like having faith like Abraham. Like you gotta yeah. have faith like Abraham. And Kierkegaard's like, what if you have faith like Abraham? Yeah. What's even worse is having faith like Abraham. Yeah, he wants to make you sweat. So he like beautifully goes like, yeah, like this is not wise and it's not ethical. He kills his, he, he goes up the mountain to kill his kid, right? Because yeah. like, you got to realize that and he, he really digs into it. And then you go, well, why, why is he doing this? What's the purpose? What's Kierkegaard trying to go, do in this book, Fear and Trembling? And one way of reading it is that what he likes about Abraham, because he thinks Abraham is a really good model, is that Abraham was caught between two impossibilities. He was caught between the, the what could be called the God of natural law, the kind of the, the idea of you don't kill, you, you try and do the morally right thing, and the God of exceptionalism, which is, this kind of absolute that can kind of like bring you out of ration reason and he's caught between these two types of god whether when he's asked to kill isaac and what abraham does is he both is going to kill his son and believe that his son won't be killed so abraham basically <laughs> through sheer force of will is able to hold a, a, an absurdity in his yeah. psych, psyche so he's saying so in his mind he's going to go up on that hill kill Isaac or what's the alternative no not no alternative he's going to kill Isaac and Isaac won't be killed oh I see yeah yeah yeah, yeah. like he's going to have to have such quote-unquote faith that he will stab his son to death <laughs> and then his son's gonna pop back up <laughs> yeah so it's like he for, for Kierkegaard this what, is a, a, what a gamble yeah what a gamble <laughs> um, the the thing for 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 Kierkegaard is that that it's like a square triangle, but more it's like it's a it's weirdly Abraham symbolically is caught in two absolute alternatives that he can hold together. And and Kierkegaard makes a big deal of how this is impossible, da da da. But ultimately, for him, that's it's kind of like an image of life. Yeah, it's an image of life in that we all face like uh, the absurdity of existence. We have we face mm -hmm. kind of like the impossibility of acting, and yet the necessity of acting, and and. And faith for him is the ability to affirm the contradiction or the absurdity of, of existence itself. Ooh. So to act when it's impossible to act, to act decisively 
when there's no decisive act to make. Oh, so he so, wasn't like roasting Abraham. No, no, he was. I uh, thought he was just like reading him for filth. No, he he wanted everybody to. He wanted to to read Abraham in such a way that everybody would reject Abraham, and then he'd say, "Yeah, you're rejecting what faith is. Faith is, and this is why. This is why. So we went a step further. That dog. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's, it's a brilliant move. It's like, and then Jean Paul Sartre used a lot of Kierkegaard to kind of secularize Kierkegaard, which is the ability to embrace the absurdity of existence yeah. um, is kind of like what Abraham does. That's what faith is. So. Inter- yeah, I've never really, uh, I've never thought about the Abraham and Isaac story quite so bluntly mm. in the sense of being like, you know, it, uh, the the defense of, um, I watched randomly this, um, I don't want to say what it was, but it was a it was a atheism versus theism um, debate, and uh, it was they were talking about the Bible, and you know one of the or Torah or whatever, and one of them was defending the Bible a little bit more, and one of the common defenses of the Bible is like, well, you know, it was written for the time that of that culture, like it was written in for that. Um, that the socioeconomic world and so when people say well what about this first it says this it's like oh we have to remember it was a separate time which is kind of contradictory because you're like also though it's a separate time so you have to give that caveat but also it's inerrant and completely perfect and you know blah blah but um yeah if you bring a lot of those stories to modern day and just imagine them i mean abraham that's a crazy person yeah like abraham if i saw a guy who was like me and Isaac are going to go on a hike and he's holding a big knife and he's like, I'm like, what are you doing with a knife? And he's like, I'm going to kill him. But I got such faith that um, he's going to come back to life because of God. I would be like, I, I would call the police yeah. on this person. So yeah, it's yeah. a weird. Uh, it is, it's like, it's like the opposite of what that person on the video was saying. Cause the opposite is actually some of these stories were more shocking than the time. It's not that when you put them into their context, they become less crazy. It's that actually in their own context, like for example, a God, not a God, God dying by being killed, being killed on a cross. Like deicide. Yeah. That's an absurdist notion at the time. That wasn't like, oh, well at the time everybody would think like that. It's like, no, it's completely crazy. Um, and so someone like <laughs> Kierkegaard uh, and, and Hegel, they, they take that seriously in that they think there's something really interesting philosophically going on. Yeah. So the Abraham and Isaac thing is a good example. Kierkegaard is the founder of existentialism and he finds it on Abraham. Yeah. So it's a weirdly kind of uh, existentialism, very connected to. Well, to you're, um, I mean, one of the first things that caught my attention with you was it was when you did that talk at like Fuller or something like that, but it was all basically based on the moment during the crucifixion where Jesus says, why God, why God have you forsaken me? And I had never until you brought it up, thought about that in terms of being like, Oh yeah. Like he is being like, that's not a, um, I was raised to believe that that, that Christ saying that is a, was like a lamenting a rhetorical question or something like that. But when you look at it as in a literal sense and you look at the idea of like, take him at face value and imagine that, yeah, God is betraying his son. um, That's a little bit crazier. Like it does make it a little bit, a little nuttier. Did you say that though? Am I attributing it? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, so they have definitely like, I, uh, I think, I'm very interested, yeah, in that cry. That definitely, that that cry is similar to what Kierkegaard does with the Abraham and Isaac is what Hegel does with that cry. It's like- It's Hegel, okay. That you got it from Hegel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you are kind of working with him. 
he it's like you've got to first of all understand the craziness of it and then you know see if it's got anything interesting to say yeah and, and you know for Kierkegaard he built an entire philosophy of the absurdity of <laughs> Abraham and Isaac um which you know say developed into Jean-Paul Sartre into Heidegger and you know so it, it kind of became very very influential we're an amazing species man yeah. we can just sit around and be like yeah everything about this way and then <laughs> yeah. somebody can be like yeah I'm about this and then they become you know revered yeah. forever it just it gives you some insight into reality in a way you never thought yeah. possible yeah, yeah. you're yeah. like oh crap I wouldn't have thought of that yeah um do you believe in free will yeah I mean and the way I describe it. So the way they talk about it generally, first year philosophy is right. Is whenever you choose to, when you came around here to do this podcast, yeah, yeah. were you determined or did you do it freely? Mm -hmm. um, and then there's one way of trying to reconcile it, which is freedom is whenever you do what you're going to do, when you want to do what you would have done. Ooh, so, I yeah. like it. So there's that's called um, kind of negative freedom, where if you want to escape from a prison and you can't, you're not free. But if you want to stay in the prison, uh, then you are free. Yeah. yeah. But but I think that's all, so funny. Yeah. So that's 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 the kind of least bad way of trying to reconcile. Except that the better way of thinking about it, I think, is like when Jean Paul Sartre says we are condemned to freedom. I don't think he's not talking about that we do free acts. Acts are always in the chain of cause and effect. It's that we are freedom. It's not that we do free acts. We are the explosion of freedom in the universe. We are the explosion of chaos in the cosmos, which means... Because um, of consciousness, because of human... Because we were, are the singular blip on the whole thing that's going, ah, me is a thing. Yes. And that, nothing else in the, in the whole world does that. Yeah. In the history of time that we know of. Yes, yeah, self-consciousness. Yes, consciousness mm -hmm. of its consciousness. Yeah, and I... And, and then maybe there's a few animals that can do it to some extent, but like we're obviously the most self-conscious beings we know. But um, the, yeah, the consciousness is that, that awareness that you're talking about, that is the result of basically what Kierkegaard is talking about with the Abraham. It's like the coming together of a contradiction in reality itself produces a gap. It produces a lack. And that's all self-consciousness is a lack it's mm -hmm. a it's a gap it's a that results from a non-at-oneness of the universe so hence we are the universe's chaos expressed mm. at its highest level to date right we're the thing that the universe <clears throat> says uh I, I don't know what happened with that one yeah that yeah. we're the species <laughs> that the universe as a whole is like uh, boy that popped out of nowhere didn't should have seen that one coming <laughs> yeah we're the mess of the universe to the highest degree yeah there's there's higher to go but like that we know of yeah we're so the like, dirty stepchildren of the universe yeah because there's like there is an antagonism in reality and which is what you see in physics with wave particle geology and then there's an antagonism in biological reality which is evolution which is the yeah the not at oneness of biological organisms and then there is the non at oneness of consciousness which is the unconscious so each of these is like just a development of chaos to a higher level so i would say that's what i mean by freedom when i say that we are free i don't mean we have free acts i mean that we are free we are free yeah, yeah. We, we are are free yeah no, nothing fun. you do is free but you are the explosion of freedom in the sense in the you're saying that it is freedom 
to have the knowledge of the contradictions that are inherent in things. Whereas if without that freedom, a slave, a, a more enslaved existence would be one in which you are sort of stuck in the present time without any, um, and your, your entire existence is only cause and effect. And you are hungry, you eat. Dog yes. hungry, dog get food. If, if you're purely in cause and effect, that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's where you're enslaved to temporality. Yeah, you're a slave to time. If you're a being that purely um, acts in, in cause and effect. And then this, we talked about this, I think, in one of the podcasts where Immanuel Kant talked about how into the world comes this categorical imperative. Something that is a demand that says no matter what you want to do, no matter how much you desire to do it, you should you should not do something. It's a it comes in as a prohibition that that's like a, that that basically short circuits temporality or short circuits time, and that is that short circuiting is freedom. You, it's like you poured a lot into my brain right there, and some of it fell out. It got a little overflowed, um, but I like. Can you can you yeah. say all of that again? Yes. <laughs> yes. The Emmanuel Kant part, because in my I was thinking about I was like I, in my dumb brain I was sitting here going the different okay so the difference between me and a fish is that if the fish the fish is a, how it's a fish a slave and I'm not a slave the fish is a slave because the fish has to follow the impulses of its biological needs and it only does that and has absolutely no context with past, present, and future. That's yeah, very sad. The free me being cool and free, unlike a fish, if I'm hungry, I don't necessarily have to go eat something. I can actually uh, go exercise or I can go get on the internet. Um, and I was going to do all of those things anyway because of cause and effect and because I'm at that place due to a billion different factors, but it was going to happen regardless. But the fact that it's not dictated solely by what I need and I'm aware of it is the freedom. Kind of. I but, lost it at the end, didn't I? Yeah, well, yeah, no, but that's that's mostly right. What I want to add is, the, the difference between you and a fish, a lot of differences, but the difference in relation to this is more that a fish has instinct, but you have a perverse instinct. Hell yeah. Just you. <laughs> and some yeah. of them involve fish. Yeah. So. <laughs> so yeah, a perverse instinct, which is called drive. You, it's not that, that yeah, you're free to do things a fish isn't. It's that. Oh my God. Is that why the movie's called Drive? Yeah. Well, yeah, I think it's partly to do with the yeah, drive. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. That just registered. <laughs> yeah. God, I'm an idiot. <laughs> drive, because he's just determined to kill just, all those people. Yeah, it's a, a he's it, he's driven, and it's a drive. It's not just a purely, God. and it's and it's cate, cate, it's a categorical imperative, not a hypothetical imperative, because he could and probably should walk away, but he. Yeah, I uh, I texted you and Curtis when I was watching with Grace because she kept making fun of it. I know. She, I thought it was very funny. Yeah, <laughs> every time, every time, um, Ryan Gosling was driving. She wouldn't say anything for the most part, but she would just stop and slowly stare at me. And I would look over and she'd go, he's doing it. He's driving. Look at that. There he goes again. And then he'd be, he'd be breaking into the car or whatever. And she's like, what do you think he's 
What do you think he's going to do? <laughs> oh my God, he's going to drive. Look at him go. And I, if I had known, ever put it together, then yeah. what I would you have, have answered. That. I could have answered, but that wouldn't have gone well. Have if gone I'd been that. like, actually, babe, it's driven in a more philosophical sense. That yeah. would have not uh, put out that fire. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, but, but that is I a great drive. example. That, that is that drive is about a kind of a person who is taken out of his embeddedness in the world. And I can't remember why he's doing it or whatever, but he basically goes on this rampage mm-hmm. and whatever he does, what he has to do. And it's about drive. So the reason why you're free is not because you can choose whether to have tea or coffee or to eat or not eat. It's that it's that your instinct is so twisted that you're like a short circuit. It's like cause and effect breaks down because it turns in on itself. And because it turns in on itself, it um, it crunches. It's like a it's a, you are the error in the machine. Yeah, you know. So um, my it's almost like um, it's the fact that the turning in on itself sounds like self sounds like self sabotage and um, yeah yeah it's rather than if I'm hungry rather than not eating and going and working out or not eating and going into the internet it's more like I'm going to eat but I'm going to eat the most horrible things that are ultimately damaging to my body. Yeah, so that's a symptom, and then a sim- and a symptom is simply the congealment of a contradiction and so and that's what like that's what Kierkegaard calls spirit spirit is the congealment of the contradiction between uh, mind and matter uh, we are the, the the quantum of eternity is the contradiction between time and eternity yeah Casino Royale is actually my favorite um, James Bond movie but I also like the quantum of I, eternity. I do like quantum of solace but um, it's obviously a lot of people don't like it but I think it's a good one I think it's a yeah you have a it's the underrated one yeah I need to rewatch it because I remember seeing it and being like I don't get it yeah. but, it was written during there was the writer's strike and there were a few problems on set and so I think it you know maybe not wasn't um, you know as much money or effort was put into it it didn't make as big a splash but it's very good yeah because Casino Royale just rebooted the whole oh my thing. god what a movie I mean yeah I remember seeing them being like I didn't know James Bond was cool yeah I thought it was like kind of cheesy but the, yeah um, I'm so terrified because as you know I'm a big fan of James Bond and I've, I've, I'm worried they're going to make him very uncool in the next one like have you seen the you've seen the Heineken ad where James Bond is in it, um, and he's uh, he's drinking non-alcoholic beer because he's working. I'm going like, oh, and he's driving an electronic car in the, the mm-hmm. movie, and I'm going, oh, I think I'm just I'm just worried about what they're going mm-hmm. to be James Bond mm-hmm. into. There's something so toxic about him that's good. That it's a matter him, of time. That, yeah. but you know what? They did that with Batman in the '90s. It wasn't under the guise of like oh. political correctness or like prog- progressive. Mm. Um, whatever but it, they they went from dark 1989 uh burton batman all the way to schumacher and what happens is when you get all the way to that end you bring in the nolan and the nolan comes in and saves oh, yeah. it so maybe that'll happen with james bond where they'll just make him like kind of a, like wuss yeah. or not at least charmingly um they've you know, got a grisly. great director for it that's the annoying thing is but it's the writers that i'm worried about because the director i think Although they had problems with the directors, the first director walked off, and he was a great director. But um, Sam is it Sam Ment? No, it's the guy who did Beasts of All Nations. Did you see that movie? No, it's really good. And so I, I can't believe. Sorry, was... sorry for the the cell phone ring. I can't believe my. I've never. I don't can't remember the last time my phone wasn't that on silent. Ever phoned you? Like this is incredible. This is incredible. You want to talk about disruptions in time? <laughs> I have friends, uh, um, and they need passwords. Uh, it, they'll figure it out. Um, Anyway, yeah. yeah. So James Bond, he walked out on set. That's always fun. 
he what he did he walked oh yeah the director, director that, yeah oh did he did you do you, know you said that oh he walked out i don't know if it was on set but yeah but gave oh, up okay. the project creative differences etc cetera, etc cetera. i'm excited about matt reeves the matt reeves batman that happened on that no the uh matt reeves the batman that's coming out oh next yeah year i haven't been keeping an eye on that is that uh, what's the reports what's the rumors it is- just sounds insane to me and at this point i feel like i've i'm pretty familiar with the spectrum of how good and bad batman can be and it looks like this is going to be on the right side of good but um it looks super dark. It looks like it's gonna be very, very dark. So okay, I'm a, and I am a sucker for that a hundred percent of the time when it comes to Batman. Yeah, because I grew up watching the '89 <clears throat> and the Batman Returns, uh, and so it's just embedded in my head that Batman is just this like stoic, kind of mildly scary guy. Um, and it just the cast for this one. It's got like Paul Dano, and uh, do you know who Paul Dano is? I know he's that. Which is he's that? a young um, actor in kind of this younger generation of really good actors that's coming up. And he's been he was like in Prisoners and um, a few other things. But he's a, such a great actor. I think he's playing either the Riddler. Uh, and then Colin Farrell's playing like the Penguin or something like that. Oh, so they're having some of those characters. It's always funny. Yeah. Like, how do you make those characters seem like dark? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and, when and, they're kind of absurdist. Yeah. Uh, and grounded in reality, yeah. which Nolan, I don't think, hit the mark totally on that. But um, anyway, I'm excited about it. Yeah. So, but it's um, it's going to be some time before it comes out. And so let's get back to the discussion in time. Uh, Where do we leave off after the... Just, yeah, just that notion. And it's very hard to pin down. And I, I, because you're asking, what what is it? Why is it that we are free? It's not that we have freedom, but we are free. And like, and one way of just saying that is because the universe is in contradiction and we are the contradiction expressed. So the unconscious is the contradiction of consciousness. You know, spirit is the contradiction between mind and matter, and and that evolution is the kind of the contradiction within biological mm-hmm. reality. In mathematics, you've got Gödel's incompleteness theorem. So there's basically contradictions appear all over the place. People try and get rid of contradiction all the time. Like, in in fact, most analytic philosophy hates contradiction. Says like it, it's dedicated. To no, no, rid this of is there. This is there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If there's a contradiction, it's just a, it's just a perceived contradiction. Mm-hmm. But um, it's just a, a problem that is yet to be solved, basically. Yeah. And that's why, like, actually, if you go back far enough, basically the, the philosopher who is kind of is where analytic philosophy and continental philosophy are born is a philosopher Hegel. And before that's Kant. And everybody agrees that Kant's very good. But the analytics really like Kant. And then the continentals really like Hegel. And generally, analytic philosophers don't like Hegel. And it's because Hegel argued that contradiction exists at the heart of reality and you can't get rid of it and if that's the case if contradiction exists at the heart of reality then there is freedom just in, not in the sense of intentionality wise but just that 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 is what yeah yeah the, contra- the, the contradiction is the kind of the the breakdown of cause and effect it's uh why uh at the heart of the contradiction at the heart of much comedy is uh, improv, where yeah. there's a possibility for an endless possibility of things uh, that can happen. So it creates a very exciting environment for people to watch because you don't know what's going to happen. So there is a sense of freedom and a vicarious enjoyment. That's very true. Because that, that like, was it, total bullshit, but well, it sounded I, good. It sounded good. And it is because <laughs> the improv stuff that I've seen, I know Joe, your friend, my friend as well. I'd like to see Joe more. I know. Fight him Me too. Yeah. So I want to. I want to be able to consider him my friend. Yes. Um, is a is that improv is dialectic. It is about 
you know, I say something and then you bounce off and go like to almost an opposite extreme. Yeah. And then it bounces. And so it is, it's not about this smooth cause and effect, like it's ruptured. But yeah. the rupture has to make sense. The rupture has to kind of like come out of what you said, a creative misunderstanding. Yeah, that's the, uh, I mean, the, the to to play fun with the, the metaphor, it's like, um, yes, and would be like the, the enlightening enlightening awakening point for if people when people do improv it's the first thing you learn about and yes and is basically taking it's it's just a it's cause and effect in in real time yeah. and people who sometimes when they're starting improv think that you're supposed to be like yes and this uh, yeah. but it is a idea where you affirm what has happened it's and more like yes new no. It's more like or either yeah. or. It's more yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like yes, and not only that, but also this, and then you just boom, 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 and it's very cool. And I, yeah, it's neat that it's uh, the the similarities among all of the things in like biology and philosophy and time, religion. What would be? Is there? I mean, the contradiction at the heart of time. What would that be? So that that for, that for me is right. What does it look like in practice? So. The contradiction in time for Kierkegaard, he's when he says it is, he calls it the atom of eternity. And the reason why he calls it that is because if eternity is every, every possibility sim simultaneously in a singularity, then the atom of eternity is when you, in your everyday life, have a moment in which you experience the radical infinite possibilities of what you can do within the frame of yourself, right? Yeah. So it's the moment where you go, and I say I had this when I was 17, because there was an experience I had where I suddenly was like, I don't need to go to tech where I was doing computer studies. I don't need to, um, you know, go, I don't need to have the stuff that I have. I completely lost interest in everything I was doing, everything I had. You it woke was, up. What's that? You woke up. It was, yeah, it was that experience of waking up and there was no, con there was no content. There was no positive. It was a purely is a pure negation. It was a pure experience of possibility. Yeah. And it's only a moment, but it's a moment that can shake you to the core and put you onto a new track. I remember my exact moment the first time that ever happened. It was like four was years that? ago. And I was walking down, I remember the exact spot in North Hollywood. I was walking by myself. And I, I don't remember what prompted it. I don't remember what happened. I think it was maybe just like a thought. It was some kind of realization that dawned on me. And it was the first time I ever felt uh, like there was an actual world that I could engage with of my own, like, accord, basically. And it was like the, it was a sense of freedom and terror. And I, yeah. I remember it was, it's such a dramatic, like, image <clears throat> to talk about, but it, it was like I grabbed a tree and, like, stopped for a second and just, like, was in kind of shock and was like, oh, this, I, I don't need it. I don't need it. I can do this, this. And it was like, there, and it wasn't like the sense of, it wasn't a, a realization of, like, Oh, here's what I'm gonna do. Yeah. It was the realization of like I'm here. Uh oh, like yeah. this is where I'm at. Uh oh, and it wasn't a good time in my life. But that moment was, I think, some kind of weird shift and turn, or whatever. That's it. That's exactly it. And the reason why that's the contradiction is because for Kierkegaard, you're now no longer in time. You're in temporality. You're in history. So you're you're in time. Yes, of course, like a rock is in time. But now you are experiencing. The, the, this, this existential superpositioning, you're experiencing a moment of pure openness to the future. Uh, that, and that, that experience is the contradiction within yeah. time.
Oof, wonderful. Yeah. Um, okay, well, Any takeaways. My takeaway. I love this conversation very much, Pete. It's wonderful to knock one out. Let's do another one in a couple of days. But yeah. uh, my takeaway is just, man, uh, it's it's a buckling up. It's a it's a strapping in and being like, all right, let's just freaking make the most of it. I'm in a good place in terms of mental and emotional and creative energy. Mm-hmm. Not so much in a good place in terms of the grand scheme of things and stresses in other areas, but there is a very nice feeling of what you're talking about right now with the collective uh, anxiety also mm-hmm. producing a bit of a um, excitement about the possibility of every area of life shifting in some way when and slowly or when this is all done. Yeah, that's it. Like you know, potentially we are living. Uh, and these happen all the time, but we're living in a moment that is historical in a significant way. It's a yeah an historical in the sense of it it changes the uh, the nature of of how we live and yeah and that's it, scary. It's, and it's just like as you said, it's, it's both terrifying and exhilarating. Yeah, and to um to to go back a little bit to the drive uh, metaphor, which is actually a lot of people know this. It's not just because he drives a car; it's also because he actually has drive. So <laughs> um, you think about put that in your cap. But um <laughs> that um. It's very rare in life to find out and to see firsthand that the free market capitalist system actually is perfect. And <laughs> this has worked. This has been that moment, and it's nice to see that uh, people who are trying to alter the free market in some way are realizing how wrong they've been um, yeah. and how uh, you know egg, egg on their faces. Uh, I was the the uh, the whole system that we're in right now, and this whole thing and seeing it is uh it's like the drive thing where the system has always not been perfect and there's always been contradictions in the way our economy is set up and now people are going it has failed us when it was failing us but now we're seeing all the results of it and that's similar in my mind to the other things in life where you wake up and you know nothing's really changed it's just your horizon opens up a little bit and uh hopefully that's enough to make change good change for more people that and that's a great point because my takeaway then bouncing off that is in the kind of kind of Marxist tradition anyway and by that I mean just him as a philosopher you just lost everybody yeah, everybody yeah, no. picked out yeah. <laughs> well so maybe people misunderstand him like so yeah <laughs> and use him to, in such kind of adolescent ways but Trump yeah what's that you're talking about Trump yeah yeah. he yeah. just misunderstands he just, he just misunderstands uh, Marx <laughs> <laughs> he didn't say disinfect and he was kidding anyway sorry go ahead um, is that just exposing the contradiction of a moment is enough to instigate the possibility of change. And that this is where it fits with Kierkegaard, is that say you're in a relationship with someone and you're covering over the contradiction, right? Things are bad, there's affairs happening, but no one's talking about it. It's obvious that it's it's things are happening, but no one's talking about it. You can keep going business as usual on track. Mm-hmm. But if the contradiction is raised to the surface, it's talked about, you know, it's actually everything's honestly said then the relationship can't stay the same. It'll either fall apart or you'll renegotiate something. Yeah, yeah. But you don't have to predict the future of the relationship. All you have to do is bring the contradiction to the surface. So there's a possibility. I don't think this is necessarily happening, but there's a possibility that the contradictions of present society are being brought to the surface. If they're kept at the surface for long enough, then there will be a change because all you have to do is bring the contradiction to the surface and the con- and the, and change occurs. Not always for the better, but change occurs. Mm-hmm. That is not dissimilar to what 
Kierkegaard means by the this moment of eternity, this atom of eternity, in that once you experience the contradiction, uh, you realize that life can be different and, ch- and change can happen. But when you deny that, when you push it down or press it, everything stays the same. Would you say, I mean, you said that um, when you bring it to the surface, sometimes, you know, most of the time, most of the time things get better, but sometimes they don't. Do you think that, or is that sort of revamp in there a little bit? Like in general, I feel like bringing things to the surface is usually the way to go. But I'm interested, maybe this is a separate episode, but talking about times when uh, repression and stuff is probably good. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's the truth. Like, and the reason we do it for a reason, like we do repression because we couldn't function otherwise. It's like, why do alcoholics drink so much? Because it works, man. (laughs) It feels good, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. so it it has to be careful. That's why analysts do it so so slowly yeah. because you go like okay no repression's there repression is there okay, it's you're being too fast as trauma yeah yeah it's like <laughs> boom yeah you're done for you know so uh yeah it's uh has to be done yeah in the right way yeah good stuff well pete thank you very much thank you this is lovely been to wonderful. be back to do this and yeah create the chat we uh thank you everybody for watching and um feel free to subscribe to this channel you can also subscribe to the fundamentalists on itunes as well as spotify if you'd like to leave us a review on itunes that would be super appreciated please leave us your comments down below or tweet at us if you're listening uh about what you're how you're doing with the whole time yeah. situation and if you're enjoying chats like these and what you would like us to talk about in the future and please check out reddit.com slash r slash the fundamentalists because we didn't know it existed so we would have paid more attention and now we know so we'll pay more attention to it we will I guess as long as you guys are cool and nice which you probably will be um cool Pete thank you very much bye bye bye